Well, good morning, MCC. Welcome in, guys. For everybody who's joining us online, thank you for taking some time out of your week and all the other things you could be doing online to be online here with us. Do us a favor. Um, we're going to be talking about some things I believe are incredibly helpful today. So go ahead and press share, and hopefully we may be able to save a marriage, save a relationship from getting off the rocks. Today we're continuing on in our series called Mr. and Mrs. Wrong. We've been diving into relationships here at MCC for the past three weeks, and today we're going to start out by some funny tweets around relationships, specifically around marriage here, to kind of start on a lighthearted mood. We're going to dive into some heavier stuff today, but I wanted to start out today by just realizing that marriage and relationships in general can be a source of a lot of hilarious things. Uh, there are some tweets that were collected that I came across this week. I'm going to read them to you. This is from a husband. He said, my wife and I play this fun game during quarantine. It's called, why are you doing it that way? And there are no winners. <laughs> before marrying somebody, this is from a wife, before marrying somebody, listen long and hard to the sounds of their chewing because that's the soundtrack for the rest of your life. <laughs> Another one from a wife here. There are two kinds of people, ones that pack six days before the trip and the ones that wake up the day of and realize they need to do a load of laundry. And those two people marry each other. This one's from a husband. My wife didn't order anything from Amazon yesterday, so the UPS guy knocked on the door to see if we're okay. <laughs> now it's close to home there. This one's from a wife. My husband annoyed me last night, so I adjusted the toaster settings slightly this morning. And I checked, I, I read that, and I was like, Jessica has a, a Twitter account, and she's the one who posted that, because seriously, that's what I think happens in my house. Um, but she denied it. Uh, jury's still out. This one's from a husband. Welcome to marriage. Here's the new way you fold towels. The men in the room. Yeah, I've folded towels my whole entire life. Now I got married. And this is now how we fold towels. Husband wrote this one as well. My wife managed to open a jar of pickles herself. Now I am non-essential. <laughs> and this one's from a wife. Marry your true love so you can always wake up together and say, breathe the other way. And it's our last one here from a husband. My wife asked me if she had any annoying habits and they got all offended during the PowerPoint presentation. Yeah. So uh, the collective groan in the room signifies that, you know, PowerPoint is a terrible way to communicate that there are things that annoy us in relationships. But regardless of whether it's a romantic relationship or just a relationship we have with a friend or somebody else, in all relationships, the person who we're in a relationship with will tend to do things that annoy us. And how we navigate those annoyances and those differences really determines whether or not those differences divide us or they allow us to work through them and be stronger together. But the key is how we communicate those things. And so today we're going to lean heavy into the power of words. See, because words are what we use to get to know each other in the beginning. We had to talk. We had to talk on the phone. We had to send those text messages. We had to swipe right or whatever you do nowadays. Um, we had to use words to share our needs, to talk about, hey, this is what I'm looking for in a relationship. This is what I'm looking for in a spouse. This is what I'm looking for in a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whatever. We use words to share what those needs are. And words are how we solve conflict. And so today I want to talk to you about the power of words. As I've been prepping for this series, I've been reading a lot of books on marriage and kind of flying through them, and one of them has really stood out to me. It's one called um, Marriage on the Rock by a guy named Jimmy Evans, and, and I'm going to be talking about some of the things that he does in here, so I want to give credit and props to him because he really helped me have my eyes open to be able to see some of these key truths. And what we're going to walk through today, and this is one I'm really encouraging, uh, people in the room, like take notes and, and hear me on this. 
the time to prepare for a good marriage is not while you're married. So if you're here and you're not, you're here and you're single, you're here and you're dating, you're here and you're, maybe you're a young person or you're watching this online and, and that's where you're at. Like now's the time to actually be able to prepare for these things. And so my hope and my prayer is that we would say, let's figure out how we can do this. And maybe you're here and, and you're a widow or maybe you're here and, and you've been divorced for a while. Hopefully as we begin to talk through some of these things on communication, there are gonna be some things that strike a nerve. And my hope is that you don't look back on this and go, man, I wish I would have known that now and neglect the fact that you are still a vessel through which God's knowledge can flow to other people and he wants to use you and maybe he wants to help other people learn from maybe some of the things that you've walked through. So I want to pray for us because I know today we're going to navigate through some some uncharted waters and some things that are going to land close to home. So I want to pray for us as we get ready to dive into this. Jesus, we've gathered here together, God, because we exist together. We don't exist in isolation, God, and frankly, we need each other. And Father, you've created us with these two different genders of male and female, and God, we're attracted to each other, and we're drawn to each other, but God, sometimes the way we're drawn to each other and the way we handle and navigate relationships with each other, it can be very painful. And God, I pray that we'd just be able to slow down this morning and realize that some of the biggest brokenness that happens in this life happens because relationships, romantic relationships particularly, fail. Jesus, let us use your words to be able to lift each other up, to point each other towards you. And I pray you would use my words in these moments to not be mine, but to be yours. In your name, amen. So I wanna start out today by talking about two of the biggest problems behind why we stink at communication, specifically in regards to relationships. The main reason, and I think this is kind of number one at the top of the shelf of why we stink at relationships and why we stink at communication in relationships is we don't understand the power of words. In the Bible, if you got one of those, you can turn it there or you can you know, check it out on the screen. There's a verse we're gonna kind of lean into. It's gonna be kind of the underlying foundational verse for all this. It's Proverbs 18, verses 20 and 21. I think the reason we struggle with words is we don't really understand how powerful they are. This passage helps us really get an idea of how powerful words actually are. It says, from the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled. With a harvest of their lips, they are satisfied. It's saying that that words have this power to either leave us desiring an appetite for something else, whether it's approval, whether it's recognition, whether it's power, whether it's comfort. Words have us longing for those things. And verse 21, key here, says, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit as the tongue, this little bitty part of our body that in the grand scheme of things only makes up a small percentage of who we are physically has the power of life and death in it. And that's all connected back into the very beginning of how God started this whole thing that is our lives. It says in the beginning, God created these things. And how did he create those things? He didn't just kind of hit this like magic, like boom, and then like put the earth out there. He spoke it into existence. He didn't just think it. He used the words of his mouth to be able to allow life to be what we are experiencing at it as right now. And here's the deal. You, friend, you are created in the image of that God. And that means that every part of you, not just on the outside, but all the things on the inside as well, is created in the image and likeness of God. And if God has the power of life and death in his tongue, then that means that we have it as well, to a varying degree nonetheless, but we still have the power of life and death in our tongue. The power to raise things up. The power to kill things. It's all inside of us. One of the big misconceptions we have around the power of our words is we think that when we speak words, they just kind of evaporate. But this is where, I beat up on social media a lot up here, but this is one of the ways where I think social media actually can help us. 
One of the crazy things that happens right now, and this is, I, I texted, um, you guys have like, you see like Facebook memories. That's a, a scary but funny place to look through sometimes. I was looking through one of my Facebook memories recently, and don't go back and you know, creep on me from when I was uh, a, a teenager. <laughs> Forgive me. Um, I looked through it, and I, I just screenshot it, and I sent it to one of my buddies who, was, who I was in college with. Who he, I think he was in it too. And I just said, this is why I can never run for office, because this stuff exists on the internet. And, and, I would, and again, it wasn't that bad. Uh, but I was like, no, I can never run for office. And see, social media, we see this happen. As soon as anything's said or posted or out there, it's out there forever. It has sticking power. It doesn't evaporate. It's out there. And we think when we just say words, they just, they just go and they flow. But the Bible has a different take on words, that they don't evaporate, that they don't just go away. That at any given time, there could be a record pulled to see what we said. In Matthew 12, kind of coming at the back half of verse 34, Jesus is talking. He's making it really clear that words really, really matter. Verse 12, 34, we'll go through 37. This is Jesus talking. He's talking to a group of Pharisees. That's kind of why he um, labels it as, as men. It's not just a men-only verse. It's an everybody verse, but he's talking to men, so he calls them men. He says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So what comes out of my mouth is based off what's in my heart. A good man brings the good out of the good that is stored up in him. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil that's stored up in him. But then he says, but I tell you the truth. And this is, this is big. And I, like, I, I think I may have skipped over this verse too many times in my life. Here's what he says. But I tell you that everyone will have a give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they've spoken. Now, he says you're going to have to give account for every empty word you've spoken. But really, you're going to have to give account for every word you've spoken, especially the empty ones. You're going to have to give account to Jesus for for by your words, you will be acquitted, which means kind of words there for justified. You'll be justified as being holy, righteous, pure, like willing to be an, someone who can enter into heaven, enter into the presence of God. You'll be justified by your words or you will be condemned. Someone who says, Jesus says, no. And it's our words, which that's like, that's intense. That means that our words don't just fade. That means that every word that you've ever spoken, whether it's in a hot argument with your spouse or whether it's in a car by yourself, everything that we've ever spoken in our entire lives has been on the record that heaven heard it all and has track of it all and says that we're going to have to give account for it all. That's intimidating. It's intimidating because we not only know that heaven hears everything, but we know that our words stick in heaven and they also stick in our hearts. Because many in, the, in this room, let's, just, let's, let's play a little partic crowd participation game, online participation game. Give a like or raise a hand if you can remember something negative, painful, or hurtful that somebody said to you five years or more ago. All right? That's nearly all of us. The only people who don't have their hands raised are the five-year-olds in the room. We all can remember those things. And if I kept going down the line from 15 to 20 to 25 to 55, we, we would all, there would be people in this room still with hands raised. There's some of you sitting in seats and watching online right now who you still have the voice of a mom or a dad or a grandma or a grandpa or a teacher or a coach somewhere still in your mind and it still comes back on a weekly basis to haunt you because words stick in our hearts and they stick in heaven too. Now the reality that, that heaven has a recorder we're going to have to give account for that thing. That can be intimidating. But there's good news. That same recorder also has an eraser. And there's this thing called repentance. There's this thing called asking for forgiveness. There's this thing called, hey, saying to Jesus, Jesus, I repent of these words I've said. I ask forgiveness for these words that i said. And when we do that, what heaven does is heaven presses 
erase. And those words are now not things we have to give account for. Now the words we give account for are our pleas to Jesus to say, Jesus, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I need your help. Cleanse my mouth. Search me and know my inmost thoughts, my inmost ways. There must be something jacked up in there that allowed those things to come out. But we know this. You've gone through this in relationships. It's one thing to know you're forgiven in heaven. It's another thing to know that the person who you sinned against hasn't forgotten. And you haven't forgotten either. And so we have this misconception that words just evaporate, but they don't. They stay and they stick. Another misconception we have around words is we think that they don't reveal what's really going on deeper. We see that we think words are just a surface level thing. We, we post them and we tweet them and we put them out there and we, they're, they're around and we just talk about them. We, we say this to a spouse, we say that to a relationship. We just put all words and we think that words are just these things that stay at this surface level. But the reality is words reveal something so much deeper. That's why the verse said, right at the beginning of one we just talked about, Matthew 12, 34, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, an evil man, the evil things stored up in him. Here's what you need to know. I've done a lot of soul searching. And there is nothing good in here that is from me. Outside of Jesus, there is no good in me. If good comes out of me, the only reason good comes out of me is because God put it there. Same thing with you. The only reason a good thing may come out of you is because God placed it inside of you to begin with. So if there are evil things, there are hurtful things, there are negative and critical and racist things that are coming out of us, what that's revealing is those things are on the inside of us. That's what's actually filling our heart. And I would lean into this hard point right here, whether this in relationships that you have with a significant other, a spouse, whether it's um, relationships and disconnect that you have with a family, or whether it be a parent or sister, a breakdown in communication with God, prayer, a breakdown in your prayer life, a breakdown in your communication that you have with God will always lead to breakdown in communication with the significant people in your life. Our ability to have healthy, good communication with a spouse, with a friend, with a mom, with a dad, with somebody that we're dating or courting, our ability to have healthy communication with them is all contingent on how much we are communicating with God. There's no pro tips, there's no dating services, there's no gurus online and YouTube that can lead you to be able to have a successful, happy marriage that is um, excluding communication with your maker, Jesus. And so today, I wanna walk through how we can learn to communicate better. Because people think that there's not a deeper meaning to what we say. And oftentimes when we say negative things, what we don't realize is what we're saying actually says a lot about us. See, if you're the type of person who's always super critical, you can always find a fault in something, you're probably the type of person who's really actually struggling with a lot of self-esteem issues. And you have a lot of self-doubt and a lot of self-worry, and so it's easy to pick apart everybody else because it deflects what's actually going on in you. And sometimes it's really easy to be the cynic in the room or the sarcastic person in the room, and sarcasm is not a spiritual gift. My wife let me know that very early on in our marriage. Sarcasm is not a spiritual gift. But oftentimes that sarcasm that we give to other people is because we have apathy inside of us. And so what I want us to, to try to lean into is the fact that when we're saying hurtful things, more often than not, it's because we're hurt. If we sound hurt, it's probably because we are hurt. And the only person that can heal your heart that's leading your mouth to say those words is the king of your heart, Jesus. 
He comes and he sets up and he reigns on your heart. And so, so no longer do we become these people who, and you've been in these, these conversations, arguments, whether, whatever it may be, where you get in this conversation and somebody says something that just hurts and you tell them it and they go, oh, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it like that. Well, this, how did you mean it? It doesn't matter how you meant it. Here's how I feel. Or the people say, oh, no, and this one, oh, this goes on my nerves because I do it sometimes too. Say something incredibly hurtful and go, man, I was just kidding. Come on. Lighten up, and then you're the bad guy because you take things too seriously. Ever happened to you? See, it's, it's, it's the wrong question to ask when something negative or painful or abrasive comes out of our mouth. The wrong thing to say is, oh, that's not me. Because the reality is, oh, according to God's word, that is you. What we need to say is, oh, that's not Jesus. And there's this divine, if you're a believer, if you're in Christ, there's this divine struggle that's going in to reign over your heart. If the words come out of your heart, when the words that come out that are, are degrading, that are negative, that are racist, that, that, are, that are critical, if those words are coming out, that means that somebody else is on the throne other than Jesus, that your flesh is still trying to ride on the throne. And Jesus is saying, can I have my spot back? And our goal and our hope and our purpose in life is to say, Jesus, you take the throne because if you're sitting on the throne, the things you say will be what come out of my mouth. Words that bring healing. Words that lift people up. Words that make people feel like they belong and they're connected. One of the other misconceptions we have about our words that, help, that makes us realize or think that they're not as powerful as they are is we think that negative words can bring positive results. We think that if we just berate somebody, or we just, just, just keyboard warrior the comment section of something, that those negative words and how we blast that side or what side, or we, we do it even in our relationships with people we love and care about, whether it's a wife or whoever, that if we can say something negative or write something negative or send that awesome, you know, really long text message, they're like scrolling, 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 that somehow that's going to make them change because of how negative we said something. I, Jessica and I, if, I remember going through premarital counseling and I've counseled people on my own stuff and never have I heard anybody come in and, and, and when things are starting to turn and then go, you know what really changed things? Like, I got home from work and she just dog cussed me from the front door to the back door. And man, just as soon as those F-bombs were flying in one ear and out other, with the other ear, like I just, I just realized, you know what? I am lazy and I do need to change and I do need to pick up the kids from school more often. And, and like, man, that's just, this is right. You're, you're right. Nobody said that ever. And I think the reason we get here, and, and I, I'm just going to speak for the guys in the room because I am one. I think the reason we get here sometimes, is, men in the room, and I'm trying to help us here, we had a dad or a coach who talked to us negatively to motivate us. For me, I, my dad was a little bit disconnected, so it wasn't so much that. For me, it was the coaches in my life who would say really harsh, critical things Really, I mean, almost intimidating, scary, like I'm going to, you know, I, you've been in the locker room, you've heard those things. And they actually motivated you to positive results, right? And sometimes you, you've had the parent who said those negative things and, and, and made you feel like you were, you know, if you could just be more like your brother. And then you, you dialed the thing up a notch and you started to become more like your brother and you left your brother in the dust. The problem with those things and why we've got to leave them back there and not take them into our romantic relationships and definitely never take them into marriages is those things got positive results because they were fear-motivated. The only reason you changed is because you were afraid of the consequences of not changing. You were afraid of getting benched. You were afraid of letting dad down. You weren't motivated out of love. And see, healthy any relationship cannot have fear as a motivating factor. 
even your relationship with Jesus. Our relationships, especially romantic relationships, have to be motivated off of love. And see, the words that we say, critical there. Another reason, if we don't realize how powerful words are, and that's one of the reasons we stink at communication, Another reason that we stink at communication, we, we can blow things up in relationships, is because we don't understand the differences between men and women. All right? Let's have some fun here. Women speak about 50,000 words a day. That's on average. That's based on the studies they done. 50,000 words a day. Men are at a healthy 25,000. All right? So 50,000, 25,000. Now, I think men, and again, just going off my own personal experience, because I am one, I think about... 24,800 of those are at work. And so when you come home, Leroy's got 200 words left on the table, and she's got 25,000 still. And there's a reason why there's some conflict that happens in the context of marriage. And we talked about this a little bit last week. Women want to be communicated on, and again, this is broad strokes here, so don't write me an email. Again, this is just broad strokes based off of gender differences and how things have been studied. More often than not, long to hear communication that hits on more of an emotional level. Longs to hear things that, that words that communicate security and provide those things, especially in the context of relationships. Men are a little bit more logical. We just need cut and dry. You tell us a problem, we're going to fix it. We don't need just more often than not, and that's one of the big questions I've learned to ask Jessica when she starts venting to me, is do you want me to hear you or fix this? And that usually saves us a lot of trouble. Another thing that I think is big, and we can lean into the differences, and one of the things I want to talk to you about that I learned through this is that um, in regards to physical sides of our life, men are, are very physically immodest. I wouldn't say very. We're, we're more ten. We, we tend to be less physically modest. So, like, if you're at lunch today with a group of people, if, if you had to guess who's going to burp at the table, probably going to be a guy. Um, physically, we're just more immodest. Physically, women are much more modest. You know, mo- some of you guys in the room, you've been dating a girl for a while. You, you never heard her fart. Like, you're like, never, not once. <laughs> never. You're just, they're modest. Now, again, that's joking from the physical side, but let's dial it a, a, a step further into the intimate side of things. Men, again, from sexual intimacy side of things, much more immodest. I mean, some of the, I mean, married men in the room, we've heard, not here. Um, but women, physically, very, very modest. If they're going to engage sexually, we need the alarm set on the house and the door to the bedroom locked. All kids in bed, <laughs> windows drawn. That's just how things have to be because it's a, it's a secure environment that has to be created for an, a physically modest female to be able to open herself up to the vulnerability that it takes in one of those environments. Now, where men are physically immodest and women are physically modest, emotionally, it's the opposite. I uh, did some field studies on this by working at Starbucks sometimes. And I'd sit down at Starbucks, and this is me trying to help you understand what, what I mean by that. Men are, are emotionally modest, and women are emotionally immodest. I sat down at Starbucks, and normally it's kind of midday, and a group of stay-at-home moms or, or, or some you know moms meeting to sell um, 
uh, or what is that stuff? Um, witchcraft. Um, essential oils. And um, they'll be doing that and meeting and talking about those things or whatever supplement or handbag or whatever that they're trying to talk about. I don't know. They're talking about those things. And man, the things that you guys will talk about in the context of just like you're, you're out in public, you're all with each other, and you're talking about everybody, and you're talking about your bodies, and I'm just this guy sitting over here like turning my headphones up as loud as I can because I don't need to hear these things. Um, and, and you're talking about everybody, you're talking about your husbands to each other, and like again, these are just field studies of, of what I've experienced because we, ladies, I think sometimes you can get in those circles, and, and again, it's not necessarily all bad or it's not all gross, but it's just on a deeper emotional level than you would ever hear men at Waffle House get to. Like when men sit down at Waffle House and we're talking to each other, you're not going to hear Leroy, man. You just look down. How's your inner Leroy doing right now? Like you're just not going to hear those things from guys. We're talking about the weather, trucks, sports. You're not going to be hearing those things happen. They're, you're not going to see that thing open up. It's the reason why when you go into a community group context with a group of guys, a mixed group, husband and wife and everything else, and prayer request time comes up. Most of the husbands in the room, they would never admit this, and I've been here before. Most of the husbands in the room during prayer request time at community group, if it's married couples, they're going, you better not tell them. You better not, you better, you better not let them know. Don't tell them I'm, about, I'm up to, I'm interviewing for this thing because then I'm going to have to tell them next week whether I got it or not. Like, we want to keep that thing down. But the wife's like, what? I'll th- I got one. Like, that's, that's where things are at. And see, what, what I mean by this is, is, ladies, if you want him to talk, he's got to have the same atmosphere that you do to have sex. It's got to be safe. It's got to be secure. And it's got to be one that no one else has access to. It's got to be safe, secure, and one that nobody has access to. That's including your mother. That's including your sister. That's including all your friends. You, in the same way that, that you would be appalled and mortified if he were to take pictures or, or tell stories from what you guys do in the bedroom with his friends, it's the same thing. When he opens himself up to you on a deep and intimate level and you call your mother and you tell him about it. Or when you go, you're meeting with the girlfriends. And you're saying, yeah, for some reason he's really just down right now. And he's just being like very reserved and, and, and everything else. And he, he's working through some stuff. And he doesn't really know what he's working through. He just, he, he just tells me he's frustrated over and over and over and over again. And then he's golfing with his buddies the next weekend. Dale, what are you so frustrated about? What do you mean? I'm not frustrated. Well, Susan said you were really frustrated about some stuff. And then they sit down in my office and she goes, well, he won't talk to me anymore. Wonder why? <laughs> we need we have to be each other's safe places in these relationships, and we got to know the differences of, of our roles. And that, and again, every most women want a man who's going to be able to open up and be able to share those things. And hear me, um, women, we need you to seriously. Like our world has kind of hardwired us right now to where very few men have any friends that they can share what's going on. And um, my hope is that, that we as a church can do some things to fight against that. But they, they need you to be that safe place. And fellows in the room, she needs you to be that safe place as well. To be able to hold those things in confidence. To be able to lean into those things and to, to navigate those things with the grace that can happen. Now, ladies in the room, before you feel like I'm beating up on you, I, I'm telling you this because legitimately you are emotionally stronger. Like they've done studies on this. Men, when our blood pressure gets, if we're in a heated argument, our blood pressure gets over 100. We just start to get disoriented. We don't know what to do. 
women, you can walk in, you can have the argument, you can have the long argument, you can just rock and roll, and you're good, you're, you're fine. It, it, it's why, like, if something is wrong at a restaurant, Jessica handles it. Like, I'm like, ah, she's like, hey, this was wrong, you need to refund it. Like, it's, the conflict is different. And I watched this happen in my own childhood growing up. Like, my mom, uh, again, that's, I'm, I'm half Italian, mom's 100% Italian, uh, so that was fun. Um, and anytime mom and dad would get in an argument, mom's just ready, 100, dialed at 10, argue, 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 argue. And he's willing to fight it all to the ground, wrestle it all out. And dad either did two things. He either fought in a different way or he backed out of the driveway. And that's why we have to know our strengths, our weaknesses, and how to navigate those things as we talk to each other. Women, you can probably emotionally bite off more than he can. And so understand that he may be physically stronger than you. You're probably emotionally stronger than he is. And navigate those things with grace and with truth. Because we're different. We just are. So the rest of the time I have left, I want to walk through five factors to healthy communication. First one is this. First factor to healthy communication is caring. Like genuinely caring. Deeply caring about the person that's there. Now I almost wrote serving, but we all have experienced the reality that sometimes somebody can serve you and not care about you. We've all been to that restaurant on this road right here that can serve you and not care about you. And you're all thinking it right now. I'm not going to say it. I said it at the last service. There's a verse in Ephesians I want us to be drawn to. Ephesians 5, 21 through 25. What it means to care. This is this foundation. We have to be able to care to be able to communicate right. It says, submit to one another out of the reverence of Christ. So because I care about Christ, I'm going to submit to each other. That's mutual submission. That's, that's saying, no, I'll go first. I'll forgive first. I'll ask forgiveness first. It's mutual submission to say, how, what can I do better? How can I do this? Not waiting on you to beg me to do this. I'm going to go to you and ask first. Verse 22, wives, submit yourself to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, ladies in the room, I know you can hear that. Ladies watching online, I know you can hear that and go, that's not easy. And I know that's not easy. It's not easy to submit to a husband. And I know as a guy, it's not easy to submit to Jesus either. Surrender is hard. But I don't want you to feel like this is a lopsided engagement. I want you to see verse 25. Husbands, love your wife's just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, again, you're submitting. may feel like you're the only one carrying the bucket of water. You're the only one carrying the weight. The burden is all on you. But I want you to see the biblical definition, the biblical standard, before we just wipe it away and said, that's old school, that doesn't work. The call on his life is actually lay down his life for you. You're asked to sacrifice some things. He's actually called to lay down his life. It's kind of the old uh, analogy between, you know, at, breakfast, at the breakfast table, who gave up more, the chicken or, or the pig? Um, the chicken is asked to give up some eggs, still alive. Uh, to get bacon, something had to die. And so in regards to this, the call on his life is to lay down all of who he is, to serve you, to love you the same way that Christ has a church. Now, when you go to a restaurant, you have a server. But we all know how frustrating it's been to go to a restaurant and you have a server who pays you no attention. <laughs> they don't stop what they're doing. And, and you know how they're communicating to you is already happening before they ever say a word. It's based off of their body language. And so what we can do is be people who 
seek to know that the person I'm getting ready to say these words to, they care about me. And as someone is getting ready to say those words, we're posturing ourselves in a way that says, I care about what you're about to say. I think one of the foundational things that, that I think has revolutionized our marriage as soon as we start to get in arguments is we try to ask this question. Help me understand why. Because understanding why taps into empathy. And you can't be empathetic to somebody and then not genuinely care. So it's this, this habit of going, hey, before I seek to be understood, I'm going to seek to understand, to know what's really going on before I try to come in and give you my two cents. Caring, deeply caring about the person you're talking to. Second factor of healthy communication and relationships is praise. Praise, positivity, like verbal praise. Psalm 104 says, enter his gates, talking about God, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise and give thanks to him and praise his name. What, what this verse is alluding to is if God is at this centrifugal part of the temple, that the further and closer in you get to that place, your praise is being dialed up a notch. Essentially what that means is the more intimate our relationship gets with God, the more our praise goes up. And the more our praise go up, goes up, the more God draws us into his presence. And again, we are creating the image and likeness of God. So the same thing happens. You don't just, just naturally draw in negative people to your life. You know the negative people in your life. They're the ones that you're just repulsed by. You, you, if you had a second date with somebody and you sat down with them and you're like, you know, your forehead looks more shiny than it did the last time we ate dinner. Maybe it's the lights. Maybe it's just your skin. It just looks more shiny this time. And your, your clothes are kind of wrinkly. Like, did you think to iron before we came? Like, you're not going on a date with that person the third time. The reason, that, like, the reason that we enter into romantic relationships to begin with is because of praise. It, whether it's, it's something little, like when you're in high school, somebody comes over and gives you a note, says, I, I, think, you're, I think you're so funny, and um, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, you know, and again, like, you, you had to say things about them. I like your butt. Like, things you had to say drew you together. And those positive comments, those, those things are what actually united you guys together. Praise. It's what allowed you to open yourself up. But sometimes we get in the context of, especially in marriage, and the praises stop. And we just assume that, like, look, I'm married to you, so you know I like you. I shouldn't have to tell you all the time. That's how we get sometimes. But we need to hear those things. We need to be reminded of those things. Especially, look, the more close and intimate you get with somebody, the more you're going to see all of their crud. It's going to be easy to pick out those things and call out those things. But you've got to remember that people hear and remember negative things way more than they do positive things. So make sure that there are more positive, like threefold, than there are the negative. Because the negative ones are going to be what they probably have a tendency to realize. I've watched this happen in couples I've counseled before is, man, you come in and one person is just fully isolated. They just checked out. And you start to dig in and ask them why. Well, to sum up what I've heard more often than not, it's they got tired of giving the other person who was the one who was firing the negative comments, they got tired of opening themselves up to give them more ammunition. And so they shut down to not give them any more reasons to find any more negative faults. So they just shut down. Or they isolated themselves. See, I believe that whatever relational, sexual, emotional, or spiritual height you want your marriage relationship, future marriage relationship to, to climb to, your words have to go there first. 
the way you talk about what you want your sex life to be, the way you talk about what you want your spiritual intimacy to be with your spouse, the way you talk about how you want to parent, like those words have to be coming out of your mouth first before your actions will ever get there. You have to speak those things and see those things together. Next factor of healthy communication is truth. Truth. Ephesians 5.15 says instead, instead of doing it the the wrong way, telling lies and, and being inauthentic, instead speak the truth in love, not the truth in urgency, not the truth in what's convenient, not the truth in your past based off of how mom and dad used to speak truth. Speak the truth in love and we together will grow to become in every respect mature. We won't fight like high schoolers anymore. Mature body of him who is the head Christ. One thing that in regards to telling the truth in communication with, with a spouse is that <clears throat> you will either tell your truth early with your mouth or you'll tell your truth later with your actions. You either speak it out early or eventually it's going to come out in the way you do things. It's going to come out in the cold shoulder. It's going to come out on every night sweatpants, zipped up, locked down. It's going to come out in passive aggressiveness. It's going to come out in questioning well, why'd you spend money on that? Why'd you spend money on that? Why'd you spend money on that? Which, four, four years ago, if you had just said, hey, um, I'm, let's, let's talk about how we manage this budget thing here. And I, I just, I want to make sure we're really on the same page. But instead of having that truth early and going, hey, I, I, I'm, I want to make sure that you're there. Help me understand why you're spending these things. Instead of having those conversations early, four, we let four years go by, and now we're questioning everything we do. And we're like, what is this? What, what'd you buy? What'd you buy? What'd you buy? Who's this? Who's this? And you're typing, you know, numbers that are missed calls. They're just people trying to get them to re-up their car insurance. And you're, you're typing those numbers into Google to figure out who they call it. Because a lack of truth has made you suspicious. And if we don't communicate the truth, like I said, if we don't communicate with our words, eventually it's going to come out in our actions. The next factor of effective communication is faith. James 1.6 says this, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave at the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. What I believe James is after here is that when you ask, when you, and again, we're asking God, when you ask God, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave at the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Now, in regards to the context of relationships here, when you ask and you communicate that something should be done differently in your marriage. When you communicate how you feel, when you communicate an offense, even when you communicate the good things that have gone on, especially when you communicate the negative things, please take my advice on this. Don't communicate the negative things that you see happening in your spouse's life until you have first communicated those things to Jesus. I can tell you from personal experience, it is a whole lot easier to hear from the Holy Spirit that no, Trent, you're actually wrong than it is to hear from your wife that no, Trent, you're actually wrong. Same for you ladies. You gotta understand, you're not his Holy Spirit. And so all the changes that you wanna see happen in his life, when we ask God to make those changes happen in, in, in our husband's life or in the person we're dating's life, when we ask God to bring about those changes in his life, we ask and we believe. And again, ladies, you have full permission to say whatever you want to say to him. You're his equal. You can say what you want to say to him. But once you say what you need to say to him, it's now in God's court. And it's got to stay there. Because God wants to use you as a tool for his Holy Spirit to speak through, but you are not 
his Holy Spirit and fellows in the room. He wants to use you as a tool for his Holy Spirit to speak through. But just because you are head does not mean you are holy. And we've got to understand those things if we're going to be the people who communicate well. There's a, there's a passage that I found this week that um, came to life because I think sometimes we can use our words when we want somebody to change in a relationship. We can use our words to try to get them there because we can't physically make them. Like Jessica, she, she's not going to like march me upstairs to the room and say, you bend down and you pick up those towels and you pick them up and you put them in this thing. She's not going to physically make me do that, but she's going to use words to try to get me there. And when we can't use the right words or the easy words or the soft words, oftentimes we graduate to harder words. And I read this verse, and man, it made me repent of the hard, abrasive, and unkind things that I had said because I saw it in a new light based off of how Jesus speaks over me. Ephesians 5, 25 and 27. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make, and this is why, this is why he gave himself up, to make her holy, which implies that us as the church, the bride of Christ, we were not holy. It's, 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 it's drawing out this idea that we were stained, that our sins had, had left us soiled and, and filthy with stains that could not be removed by our scrubbing ourselves clean. He gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word, the word of God. And he did that so that he could present her as this trophy, not to the rest of the world to see, but to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. And I read that, this, this, this image came to mind of how Jesus deals with me and all the things that I know he wants to change in my life. And when we talk about how Jesus cleanses us, the water of his word and I think the thing about Jesus that we fail to realize, and I say that based off of how we try to deal with other people when we want them to change, is he's incredibly patient. And so Jesus takes his word and he, and he hopes that our affections are stirred enough to be able to dive into this thing. And then he allows his word to change parts of our life. But he is just change. I'm just going to allow this to continue to rinse over you, to rinse over you, to rinse over you. And I'll stay here as long as I have to for all of eternity or all your life here on this earth to gently cleanse you because you're my bride. And because you're my bride, I'm not going to do this to you. You're being terrible. You're still struggling with the same sin since middle school. You still act like that? Are you serious? Like Jesus doesn't come at us with one of these. This is a pressure washer for anybody who didn't know. Like he's got an AR-15 at church? No, this is a pressure washer. This is a pressure washer. Jesus doesn't come at us with this. He says, I I'm willing to come to you patiently, kind, and just let it pour over you. In the same way that he gently, I believe, washed the disciples' feet, he takes his word, his living, active word of God, and he, I'll take my time. I'm going to continue to let this do what it needs to do on you. But when we come to our spouses, oftentimes, 
we don't have this approach. We're either rocking one of these or a fire hose. And saying, and we got like sniper aim too because we know them. We know them. And so we can like line up and hit that like, ah, here it comes. You're just like your father. And we just snipe them with it. We hit them. And they, and they pierce, man. They hurt. And we, we know those things are coming sometimes when we're in those arguments. Now, what I want, I mean, this is the point of everything here, is let's use our words to each other in the same way that Jesus uses his words to us. Kind, patient, long-suffering, willing to lay it all in the hands of God, lay it all at the feet of what the Holy Spirit may do and how he may move, which leads to the last factor here in regards to healthy communication in our relationships. Surrender. Saying to Jesus, my whole life, my mouth included, is yours. Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as living sacrifices. So like this mouth, this thing that has the power of life and death in it, Jesus, it is a living sacrifice to you. I'm giving it to you. You do with it what you want. It's yours. All I have is yours. It's a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true and proper worship. That means if our mouth and our tongues are jacked up, then, then, then that is not true and proper worship. If we give Jesus our money, if we give Jesus our, Jesus our time, if we give Jesus our attention, if we only listen to Christian songs and even chew Christian breath mints, but we don't give him our mouths, we have not surrendered our lives as a living sacrifice. We've, sin, we've surrendered aspects. And Jesus says, I'll either have all or I'll have none. Give me everything. Let me be king over all of it. Head to toe. And today as we, we finish, we're going to receive communion together. And I believe there is no, no better definition of surrender than the cross. To say my everything is going to be poured out for you to finally become something. Something that is capable of being made new, something that's capable of being made right, something that can be pure and holy. As the band comes up to lead us in this moment of, of reflection in this, I want to issue a challenge to the people in the room who are either married, divorced, single. Really, it's all of us. If you're married, here's what I believe it should look like. As I said earlier, a communication breakdown between you and God will always lead to a communication breakdown between you and your spouse. So I'm challenging you this week, pray together. Pray together with your spouse seven days this week. Doesn't have to be long, doesn't have to be complicated, doesn't have to sound like how people pray in Sunday school or community group or how I pray. It can be very, very simple. Jesus, she's homeschooling today. Give her patience, gives her help, help the kids to survive. Amen. <laughs> very simple, very short. It, it, like just just pray together, guys. All of this is connected. If you're single in this room, pray for your future. And again, the goal, I've said this early on, I'll say it again, the goal is not to get married. The goal is to magnify God with your life right now. If that's a desire in your heart, though, Jesus, one, Jesus already knew that was a desire in your heart. Talk to him about it every day this week. 
don't let it be this thing like that's this wound that you kind of just stuff down and you're like, oh, I'll only think about that when we're, our church is in a series on marriage or I'll only think about that when I see a cute couple at Starbucks. No, like Jesus is fine with you talking about it and, and working through what's going on in your heart now if you're divorced. I don't know where your hope for the future is, but I know that there's healing needs happen in your past. I've watched and navigated that wound with my own mom and I know that it's painful. And my prayer is that, that you talk to the groom, the true groom, Jesus, to help navigate through that. If you're a widow or widower in the room, put a smile on your face and look forward to the anxious expectation of hopefully seeing the person you've lost again. But knowing that there is more to this life than this life. My prayer is that we would Seek Jesus together for our current spouse, future spouse. Let's meet with Jesus now. We love you, Jesus. We thank you that you're very patient with us. Despite our sins and shortcomings and mistakes and failures. Thank you that you heal us. And even now, as our hearts are starting to turn towards you, um, you heal us. You hear us. And Jesus, I pray specifically for the person in this room who's never surrendered to you. Not their words, but not even their life, Jesus. And I pray they would not ignore the call on their life in this moment to be baptized, to surrender, to say my old life is being washed away and my new life is being raised up. It's a new life with you, Jesus the one who surrendered it all so I could truly have life. I pray they hear your words communicating, your grace communicating, your mercy communicating deep to the core of who they are in this moment. We love you, Jesus. Do what only you can do.